you want to talk. One, two, three. How many sound engineers does it take to change a light bulb? Four, five, six. <laughs> and then if you just introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Ellie Sanderson. And what do you do, Ellie? I have two beautiful bridal boutiques in the home counties. One of the greatest things about having my own podcast is I can talk about anything I like and to anyone I wish. And in this interview uh, with Ellie Sanderson, uh, I wanted to talk to someone who was not a photographer. And increasingly, I'm hoping that's the direction this podcast will go in. Not because I want to become anything other than a photographer, but actually because I think it's more useful to draw inspiration from people outside the business. It's very easy, and we're all good at this as photographers. We're quite introspective in terms of our industry. We look to other photographers uh, for inspiration and for stories and for ideas. And in fact, over the time I've been doing this, I think I've learned far more from people outside the industry than I have inside simply because an awful lot of what we've amassed inside the industry, I'm reasonably well aware of now. I might not be a master of it, I might not be any good at it, uh, but I'm at least aware of it. Whereas when I talk to people who work in different industries, uh, that's not the case. I, they talk about things that I've never heard of, and I find that both fascinating and interesting. Uh, but I take lots of notes, and I take that away with me, and see if there are ways I can apply that information uh, to this particular little business of mine. So this interview is with Ellie, and she runs a pair of beautiful uh, bridal gown and boutiques. They are stunning shops, and she supplies only high-end gowns, uh, nearly exclusively from British designers. Uh, and uh, her customers come from far and wide, from all over the UK, for her expertise at matching, not just selling you a gown, uh, but giving you an experience of matching you, your character, your figure, to the perfect designer for your wedding day. So the shops are beautiful, her staff are highly motivated, and they are stock full of the most gorgeous, gorgeous gowns, uh, predominantly from British designers. But this podcast really is about passion, it's about customer care, it's about being business savvy, but it's also about romance, and on top of that, a whole heap of business data analysis. You couldn't get a better combination of things if you wanted to talk about it that could apply to a photography business. So I started by asking her to give us a little bit of background on the shops that she has. The first one is in Beaconsfield, which opened about 12 years ago, and the second one was in Oxford City Centre, and we've just relocated that to Woodstock. Kind of fell out of love with the city centre and oh, really? the, the hassles that went with it, which is quite sad, and of course it's incredibly expensive to trade there. Yeah. And I felt the business was 12 years old, and people would come to us. We have brides that travel from Warwick, Birmingham. So I didn't think stepping out of the city centre was going to be a big problem. I knew people would follow us, and thank God they have. But how did you go about building a brand that becomes a destination brand as opposed to a walk-past-the-window brand? Um, I think when I set up the business 12 years ago, Paul, it was really important for me to sell what I loved. And so I picked mostly British designers to work with. And I don't have lots and lots of designers in my shops. I've got a handful. And I work really closely with them. And I've formed brilliant relationships. Yeah. And so over the years, the reputation we've managed to build up, not only in the, the industry, 
but outside with our clients has just been phenomenal and it's just snowballed. Was it a strategic decision though to become a destination shop as opposed to, or boutique as opposed to, you know, big brash displays on a high street somewhere? Yeah, and I think you have to remember that the wedding dress market's very different to the high street. And actually that's why I left the high street because I was in corporate retailing beforehand. I worked for Marks and Spencers, TK Maxx, Sainsbury's, I kind of did them all. So as what? Um, I was commercial controller, I was store operations, I was in finance. So I had a really broad sort of business background. And 12 years ago, I saw the writing on the wall with the high street because the development of the internet was getting bigger. And I knew that I had to... I knew I wanted to stay in retail because I love selling. And so I wanted to sell a product that I knew you would always have to have an emotional connection with. And that wasn't going to be a CD or a DVD or something like that. That's just, you don't need to have a connection with it. So you you need to have an emotional connection when you buy something like a wedding dress. But did you always think, uh, you know, obviously you've got a retail background and it's great that you've got not just a retail background, you've got lots of retail backgrounds. Yeah. When you sat down and thought, you know what, I'm going to do something different, why wedding dresses of all things? Well, then that's the, the real story is going to come out now, Paul, because I have been a wedding dress obsessive since I was about five wow. years old. <laughs> so um, whilst it kind of fitted the business model, that it ticked all the boxes, that it had to be emotional product, I've always been obsessed with design, interior design specifically, yeah. and fashion. And I have just always loved wedding dresses. I've had scrapbooks where I've drawn them since I was a child. Child. So it was a it was a big thing. So um, it, I just joined the dots and came up with Ellie Sanderson Bridal Wear. First boutique was two thousand and seven, um, and unlike many people that open wedding dress shops, um, I decided that I would open a shop where there was a gap in the market. It wasn't a hobby business for me. I was giving up a big salary. It is a bigger. It is a big. It was and still is a big old outlay. I mean the people people come into the shop. And I've probably got about £120,000 worth of dresses hanging there. I'm not given those dresses. I have to buy the right product. I have to put my money where my mouth is. I have to predict now what girls are going to want next year. So, um, you know, at one point I could have a quarter of a million pounds worth of stock. So it's a, a big financial investment. And if I make a mistake and I don't sell that dress for whatever reason... You know, that's that's lost money. So we always have to be really, really careful with how, what we choose. How do you strike? I mean, you, you came from retail, so this is your background. Yeah. You know, analysing markets and yeah. trends and everything else. But how do you go about hedging your bets? Because there's high fashion and then there's every day. Not that a wedding gown is ever every day. But how do you go about hedging your bets to make sure that if the fashion swings in a direction maybe you weren't expecting, you've still got the stock you need? Do, yeah. you, do you rely on the designers you're buying from? Do you look at fashion magazines? Are you looking at trends in, I don't know, the photography industry? What is it that helps you get the right broad spectrum? I absolutely paralyse myself with statistics. <laughs> I, I look at all the numbers. I, um, I read magazines. I constantly watch fashion weeks, New York Bridal Fashion Week, everything. I'm, I'm there. I visit. I do it all. I'm very aware of what's coming down the line. But I'm also very aware that the media drives a lot of what people want. So for me, a big tick in decisions is when I buy my dresses, say, in March for next season, if 
any of those dresses get on the front page of any of the big bridal magazines, I think, tick, I've done a good job here. Because sometimes you just have to invest in a piece that's going to be a magazine cover because that drives footfall into the shop. So you have to know, you have to listen as well to what your customers are buying. And I'm very, very close to the coalface of my business. I work Saturdays. I love working Saturdays. I love selling. And part of that is listening to what girls are asking for. Um, whether they're wanting cover, you know, trends change all the time. The biggest trend change is always when we have a royal wedding yeah. or a celebrity and you open OK magazine, you think, oh, my God, everybody's going to want a long veil. Yeah. Thank you, Megan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so by the end of that day, I had ordered veils with an extra seven foot on them. So, so everyone wants a long veil and a redheaded prince. Yes, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Not everybody gets one, though, do they? Um, and, and so, you know, you've got to be very quick off the mark with things like that. Buying British allows me to get products in quite quickly. If I was buying everything offshores, you, you've got to add on uh, all sorts of shipping and times for that. So we and because we're quite a small business, we're agile. Yeah. So it's not like turning an oil tanker. It's quite it's quite nippy. Well, you, you say that with if you've got up to a quarter of a million pounds worth of stock, that's not as agile as an industry that carries you know, 50 quid's worth of stock and everything's yeah. bought in. Although it's agile yeah. in your world, that's still a lot of stock that you've still got to you've still got to sell it. It's a lot of stock. And every year we have to, you know, for, for, for turnover reasons, we have to replace probably about 80,000 to 100,000 pounds worth of that stock. Yeah. Um, and again, we have, to, we have to pay for that. So that's all part of the forward planning investment of the business. It's, it's not just a, a guessing game. It has to be really considered. Um, and so it's, it can be stressful if you get it wrong. You know, there's some seasons I've looked around the shop and thought I have missed the boat with long sleeves or this year actually looked around the shop and thought, where's all my lace gone? <laughs> What's happened? What have I done? I got carried away with the Megan effect yeah. where everybody literally in the last six months has wanted a plain wedding dress. Yeah. And I was buying more plain to fulfill that instant need. Yeah. But then I suddenly looked around the shop last week and thought there's no lace. So I today literally have gone and placed some orders for some lace dresses. And again, back to the British supply base, I can get those in six weeks. Well, it's also, I mean, it's a lovely thing to be able to buy within the country, I think, anyway. Isn't yeah. It? So there's a degree of pride in that. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm massively proud about that. You know, I, the, the locations for my shop were a big thing for me because they have to be... They have to be in an area that can carry a luxury product. So I wouldn't be able to sell a three and a half thousand pound wedding dress in an area that doesn't have the local yeah. client base for that. So, you know, Beaconsfield was my obvious choice. Um, I drove around for, for many, many months trying to find the right <laughs> shop. And then I found it and I stalked the landlady until she spoke to me and I got that shop. What, what I like about your story, and we're going to keep coming back to it, I think, is that it was your dream. Yeah. You dreamt about wedding dresses. Yeah. But you've approached it like a full on, I'm going to say, oh, yeah. hard faced businesswoman. Yeah. You know? I've, I've, I've sat and drank with you before. It's... And I know you are a hard faced businesswoman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a sweetie, really. No, but you're absolutely right, Paul. My girls laugh at me because I run a corner shop of. 800 square feet like a corporate business yeah quite right you know my, I have databases I have online booking systems that drops into the database that tags people through the whole system do they follow us on Instagram Facebook how can we market them so it's not accidental it's very 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 considered and buying product has to be very considered as well because it is the biggest investment that I make um, I'm also very good at knowing when I've got it wrong and I listen to my girls 
my girls will say to me, Ellie, this is a dog. We've yeah. made a massive mistake <laughs> here. And, you know, I'm standing there with a dress that I've perhaps paid £1,200 for. Yeah. And for me, my main priority is to liquidate that yeah. asset as quickly as possible. Yeah. So if a bride comes in and she puts it on, she goes, oh, my God, I love it. And we're going, oh, my God, it suits you and it's perfect. We would then offer her the sample at a massively discounted price just to push it on because we know it's not going to be a big one. Um, and then we, we we buy something different. And what size is, because it always fascinates me, See, you know, samples in a photography studio, we can create these things in a heartbeat and switch them around, but as a wedding dress um, supplier, you can't do that. So how do you cater for different sizes and shapes yeah. in your prediction for the year? Yeah, um, I think, I mean, I, I do do a very considered buying plan, which is back to my Marks and Spencers training. Uh, so, you know, first of all, it, I decide how much money I want to forward invest based yeah. on the forward sales that we've yeah. got. I then break that down by designer. So which my best designers, I've got one designer that takes 40% of my turnover. So, you know, I invest my money there. Yeah. Um, and then within that designer, I look at shapes. Do I want ball gowns? Do I want fishtails? Do I want bias cut? Do I want backless, sleeveless? You know, and you start breaking it down and you end up with a shape. Then you have to look at the product that you've already got, what's going, what's staying. Yeah. Um, and you, and you, you, you construct a buying plan. And do you do this on your own or no. is, you use your team? I, do, well, I, use, I use all my finance information that I have um, and then I sit down with my team. We, we're, we're, big, we're big, it's a team success. Yeah. You know, most of my, some of my girls have been with me for 10 years. I've been through divorces and babies and God knows what with most <laughs> of them. Um, you know, they, they, they've been with me a long time. Yeah. So I, I, I relish the information that they bring to the table and I, I use that a lot because they see more clients than I do and they answer the phone more often than I do so yeah. they have all that information but when you set out on that first shot 12 years ago mm. how did you go about picking that because you had no data I did have data okay I, I, I it's a great story this one I had amazing data I looked at Beaconsfield I looked at the demographics I looked at the age profile I looked at the divorce rates. Um, I looked at. Some now, hang on, let me stop you there. Is, it, is a high divorce rate <laughs> it's good high, or bad for you? It's wow, well, wow. Well, if it's a repeat client, it's great. And we've had a, we've had a few of those. <laughs> that's a generator. Isn't yeah, it? but but the age profile in Beaconsfield is fifty five plus, right. and it's got quite a high divorce rate. Yeah. So it's a very wealthy area. Um, so my styles that I picked then, I thought were more aligned to second time brides. What I hadn't factored is that their daughters come home for the weekend and go wedding dress shopping with mummy. Right. And so very quickly, within the first six months, my dresses were too grown up. Right. And I had to go back and do a quick rebuy, which, you know, again, being the control freak that I am, I had, I had kept money aside for that. Yeah. So I'd, I opened the 30 dresses, yeah. which was not a lot. Yeah. Um, and I now carry about 70. So there was space to change the direction once I'd got the feedback that I needed to get. Well, it's still 30 dresses at, what, an average of £2,000 a oh, pop. I know, I know. That's still a I hell know. of a... It's a lot of money. It's a lot of finance yeah. to sort out. It is, it is. Um, and obviously not, there's not just the dresses. I mean, you've, you've found your 800 square feet of shop on yeah. the corner in Beaconsfield. It's a beautiful place. Uh, you've also got to put staff in there unless you're going to work, mm. I mean, literally seven days mm. a week. I mean, you do anyway. When you start a new business, you know, everyone oh. tells you the same thing. So how did you go about finding your first... I don't know what you call them, assistants, 
expert stylist, stylist darling stylist, stylist. <laughs> I, knew, I knew there'd be a word there'd be a fashion fished, word in there if I fished around there'd be a word for it stylist oh Paul it's a funny funny story I I opened and as you said um I I was it I was everything I was used to an operations manager I was used to a finance manager I was used to all these people around me and all of a sudden on day one that you know something went wrong and I didn't have an operations manager and it was ju- it was me and I did I worked seven days a week um, probably for the first two, three months. And then I decided to, I needed to employ somebody because I couldn't cope on a Saturday because we were getting busier and busier. Um, and so I employed this wonderful lady to work with me. Helen loved her. She got heaps of fashion experience. Um, and at the end of the first day, I thought she's fab. I'm so happy here. But there was a fundamental mistake in my recruitment process. And that was, she wasn't tall enough to reach the dresses. Oh, no. <laughs> So, so I spent my entire day helping her yeah. get the dresses down, and yeah. I realised that that wasn't going to go anywhere. So, yeah, we parted company quite quickly after that. So there is a sort of certain height you have to be yeah. and build to lift these dresses because some of them weigh three kilos. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're they're heavy. Um, so yeah, so it's quite funny. And then and then from there, if I'm honest, I haven't I have never employed anybody that's got a bridal background. Um, Why? Because I find a lot of people that have been in bridal a very long time quite cynical. And <laughs> I know... Are you cynical? I, no. Do you know you what? just kept the romance. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I absolutely believe in what we do. And I know that we create a special moment in girls' lives that they'll never forget. To the point, the girl, the first ever girl that bought a dress off me still keeps in touch with me. She? She's three children on, you know, 12 years married um, and living in Winchester. And she so, hasn't got divorced. And she hasn't got divorced. <laughs> so but, she's booked your stats. four of her friends have bought dresses off me. Nice. So, um, so, so yeah, it's, 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 it's a nice, it's, a ni- it's, it's kind of built, it snowballs. You know, if you give somebody the real platinum level of service and care, which 12 years ago nobody was really doing, it was... You know, my biggest competitor 12 years ago was Marlowe Wedding Centre. Even when you think of the name. I know, I know it well. <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it was a big centre. They saw eight brides at a time. Um, you had an hour. You were processed. Six frocks. Pick six frocks and out the door. Um, and then the flip side of that was me and you in dresses. Me styling you two hours twice the price point you know so yeah. we kind of set the bar very very high and 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 it gets higher every single year yeah, the yeah, expectations yeah. get higher so you say you don't recruit from the bridal industry where do you recruit from? i i recruit people based on their personality and personal style um and i i've got a wonderful bunch of girls but i can train them in product knowledge and i can teach them to sell but i can't give them a personality yeah. and I can't force them to a personal yeah. style. And so all everybody always says, Girl, Ellie, your girls are, are wonderful, but they range in ages from 25 to 65. And I always try and match client accordingly. Yeah. So if we have a second time bride, she gets an older stylist because yeah. nobody at 60 wants to take <laughs> their clothes off in front of a 20 year old. Um, so yeah, we always, we always client, you know, get the, get the mix just, just right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and what are, if you could, I mean, how do you, what I'm getting at is when you sit and interview someone, how do you know? I mean, you talk about personality, but you've still got to have, they've still got to be capable of being trained. Yeah. So, like anyone interviewing for employees, yeah. how, do you, how do you know? What is it about them? What's, what's the questions you use? There's a, there's a three-step process. Of course, it's, I wouldn't have doubted I, you it know, for a minute. Of course, there is always a process with me. The first process is, 
how they've applied for the job, you know. Um, in fact, I'm interviewing a girl tomorrow who uh, applied, came into the shop, introduced herself, said she was replying to the advert in the window, how old-fashioned, but that meant she was local. Yeah. Um, and and she was told that she needed to follow the instructions and the letter to apply for the, and the, and the advert to apply for the yeah. job, which she did to a T. So I got the covering letter, I got the CV. So, you know, that's, that good for start. me is a good start. start. Um, and then beyond that, I then, if I, if I like the sound of them, I'll contact them and ask them to give me their contact telephone number and we arrange a time to chat on the phone. And if there's no personality coming down that phone line, if I can't hear a smile in the yeah. face, I don't want to meet them. Because if they're going to answer the phone to my clients, I need to feel yep. warmth. Yep. And if I can't feel it, I don't meet them. Yep. So they get past that bit, then I meet them. Um, and if I, I just talk to them, ask them what they know about bridal, what they know about my business, you know, I look at their fashion sense, I look at their handbags, I look at their shoes, their fingernails. Um, and then I ask them just to wander around the shop and have a look at the products and tell me what they like and why they like them. Right. And then I get a real sense of who they are. So that's the second bit. Um, if they pass that bit, then the third bit, we ask them to come into the shop on a Saturday and we chuck them in at the deep end. Um, and, and we love it. We just stand back and see how they care for our clients. Because yeah. um, we always have somebody hosting. So we get them to host, which is making sure everybody's got drinks and, you know, anything they need, that's magazines. A that's a lovely idea. It's just great. It is. It's, it's, it's a host. So, you know, come in, granny, have a seat. Granny yeah. might not want bubbles. She'll have a cup of tea. Or, you know, the host will run out and get a pint of beer for the dad or whatever we need to do to make everybody feel comfortable so we watch our host and how she's engaging with people and whether she answers the phone or you know however and then that's the third bit so when we get to the end of the third bit I then do a further telephone chat with them yeah. and ask them what they think yeah. because you know I they need to like us as well yeah. um and if I like them I think they've fitted in they're good with the customers they've got a sense of humor they're stylish we will we give them a job yeah. but for every one job i probably get about 150 applicants so it's massive to sift through um and and it's quite easy i know i, I get down from you know for one for a full-time job i can get down to sort of 10 telephone interviews three personal interviews yeah. and then one will take forward to a saturday that's quite a thing isn't it and are your Stylists, he says, remembering the terminology correctly. Are your stylists uh, a mix of? I'm assuming they're a mix of salary and commission. I yeah, I don't, I don't pay them commission. You don't? No, I've I've worked in many commission backgrounds before. Um, my my team are made up of part times and full time. Right. So ah, no, it's hard so, to get right, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah, very hard very. to get right. I worked in the furniture trade for a while, you know. And if somebody came in and sat on a sofa and you spoke to them, I didn't mean to say you'd sold the, yeah. sold the sofa. And it's very much the same with the dress. You know, we have a girl. Girls won't buy a dress on their first appointment. Yeah. They used to, but they don't anymore. So they they tend to come in two or three times. We desperately try and, you know, make sure that we're always there. I mean, Saturday I'm working. There's three brides that I've seen before that are coming in to see me. So we always try and make sure that happens. Yeah. But when you get into a commission environment and people don't work every weekend, it's impossible to do that. But also for me, the biggest no-no with commission is it, it engenders forced selling. And I don't have to force sell beautiful products. I would rather the team sold them because it was the right dress to the right girl at the right time and that's that's how we work the managers are paid on commission 
They, they've got a very clear structure. Um, they have targets for the year, targets for the month. They have, you know, conversion rates to achieve, average transaction values to achieve. So, yeah, they, they're the ones that carry the burden, but they earn a good wage as well, Paul. So... I pay them well, but I work them well as well. Now, it's really refreshing to hear it because you hear retail so much these days is a commission-based yeah. role. And I've, ne- I've always had a curiosity about it. In the, It's very hard to make it fair. Yeah. And it doesn't incite internal friction yeah. as much as it incites drive and yeah. passion. Drive and passion isn't something you can pay for as no. such. No. We do. The other thing that we do is we reward good service. Because I'm absolutely besotted of that. that. I uh, there's a process for that. I'm sure, there is. I didn't doubt <laughs> it for a minute. We, I mean, I, I have. When somebody buys a dress off us, we send them an email. Um, it's a personal email, but there's a framework, and we'll send it out, and we'll say congratulations. Da, 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 da. At the bottom of every email, every buy gets my personal email address, and a little message from me that says, "Look." I might not have met you personally, but there's anything we can do to improve or anything you want to feedback you want to give me, please, please, please. Here's my personal email. Um, So I get emails and thank God they're all very complimentary. So I keep a log of those. Um, I go on various websites as well. So go on to Google, um, obvious five-star reviews, go into Guides for Brides, five-star reviews, cards that come in the shop. So I do look at the number of hours my girls at work and I look at the number of positives we get and we get loads of letters and cards and positives and every quarter somebody will win best customer service award um it's a couple hundred quid you know so it motivates them to give the right service and they they know exactly what's important to me um so it's not about selling the dress and a a killer sale it's about making sure you've sold it within the sort of brand ethos well that's that's intrinsic to uh, anything to do with the bridal industry, isn't it? It has to be about joy and experience. Absolutely. You know, it doesn't matter what you're selling, whether it's flowers, yeah, gowns, photography. Yeah, no, it's absolutely. all about the experience. And the it day. is. It's and 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 people's expectations of experience are getting higher. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. we don't go shopping anymore. So when we do go shopping, our expectations are huge. Yeah. You know, it's not just giving them a glass of chilled bubbly. It's much more than that. You know, when when a bride comes back for her second dress trying on we should know what the groom's called we yeah. know where the wedding is we're going to say hi charlotte oh my god you're getting married at notley abbey how exciting have you booked your florist have you got your photographer come in we've got your favorite dresses already steamed and ready for you to try on yeah. and and it has to be that level and you unveil them and you know it is it's massive because it's, it's yeah it is because do you know what it's a lot of money yeah and it should be treated like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you set out with just the one shop. Yeah. And obviously that you turn that into a success. Yeah. At some point, you either through, I don't know, your childhood desires or through looking at the numbers, decided a second shop was a good idea. How did you work out that that was the right strategy? And how did you work out what the trigger point for that being the moment would be? Yeah. I. I it's interesting because I... I set out the started the business wanting more than one shop, so it wasn't a case of there was a trigger point and then let's get another one. There was always going to be always other ones, um, and so when I I got to a certain point with Beaconsfield where we literally had something like a two month waiting list to get in, um, I knew. I mean, the, the very the very early days strategy was I wanted to be the destination place to go. 
on the M40 in the home counties to buy your beautiful designer wedding dress. And I started at Junction 2 and I went to Junction 10. And it was, I wanted everything in between that. So, um, more junctions. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a few more, but um, so I kind of I wanted to encapsulate that whole sort of area. Yeah. So originally, I wanted to open in Oxford, but Oxford didn't happen. I couldn't find the right premises then because there, there were no empty units then. Um, and so I ended up in Beaconsfield, which was fitted all the demographics and everything was tick tick tick. Did that two month waiting list. We need to expand the brand. And here is a massive opportunity to have a monopoly, which was always the plan, yep. of all the best labels on the M40. Yep. So the labels that I couldn't have in Beaconsfield due to exclusivity reasons, I was going to have in Oxford. And that's exactly what I did. Right. So it meant that I had all the top 10 labels in the UK for that chunk of space yeah. on the M40. The trigger point, as I said, was a two-month waiting list. Um, and that was, that, that was year two we started looking for the second property. So it was pretty soon on um, and we, we had to open it. And it was, yeah, I, I, it was a big leap, <laughs> another big leap, more stock to buy. Um, and and I, I did it. I shut my eyes and jumped and knew, I knew it was going to work because we tested it. We'd done, we, in those days, you didn't do pop-ups, you did wedding fairs. Yeah. So we tested it. We knew there was a desire there. Yeah. There was nothing else in Oxford shire because yeah. nobody was prepared to put their money down for oxford city center rates yeah. so we did it how did you deal with the inevitable constraint which is there's only one of you and now there's two locations to look after in the early days was my biggest personal upset because um when i worked for mns i managed 20 stores when i worked for tk Maxx, i managed 40 stores so you know two stores is nothing but everybody wanted a slice of me and I hadn't really factored that in. And the minute anybody said my name in the shop, so if a stylist had an appointment with the bride, the minute she turned around and said, Ellie, can you answer a question? The bride didn't want to deal with the stylist anymore. It was me. Yeah. So um, that was that was really hard. Still a challenge, Paul. I've got a really strict routine that's, that says, you know, I'm in Beaconsfield on a Tuesday. I work in Woodstock on a Thursday work from home on a Wednesday and I do every other store on a Saturday and my road my my days off is set through to December already so the girls know when I'm on holiday and if a bride phones up and says I saw Ellie can I see her again they'll just pull up the staff schedule and go she's not here till the 9th of February let's get you booked in so we're able to sort of pre-plan plan it from that point of view but yeah there will inevitably be people that want the person with the name above the door and my job often on a Saturday when I'm working is just I'm the host. Yeah, the, the Raymond Blanc. Yeah. Bridal shopping. I wish I could cook like him. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of, I, you know, I don't want to dumb down what we do, but I, I kind of sprinkle the fairy dust a little bit. And, you know, 12 years of experience, 6,000 brides later, I'm able to add things that maybe my team hadn't thought of to, to, to that moment. And my team will phone me up at home and go, I've got a bride here. She's got very large boobies, <laughs> you know. <laughs> What do we do with this dress? Because it's got no structure. And I also do not sell it to her. Get her in this. So, so yeah. But we talked about sizing. We didn't come we back did. to that, no, did no. we? I was, I was on my notes. It's on your list. You're going to come back to that. So, no, sizing, whilst yeah. we're talking about boobies. Um, sizing, I buy the dresses in the sizes of girls that they will suit. So I wouldn't... Right. 
own a bias cut silk dress that's backless in a size 20. You know I'm later going to go and Google <laughs> a bias cut backless something dress. Think, Char- just, think just. Charlie Breer, darling. Okay, <laughs> but I'll do that. I, I, could, I could not allow a size 20 girl to wear a dress like that yeah. with no back on it because it sh- and she wouldn't want to wear it either. You know, if she's got curves, bias cut silks, not your friend. So I tend to buy those in sizes 10, 12, 14. When, when you have a bigger figure, things inevitably have to be constructed differently. So, you know, curvy brides wouldn't just go into Topshop and buy a flimsy little top. They'd probably go to Evans or somewhere else where there's, you know, especially cut patterns. And it's the same with bridal. So my, my really well-structured dresses, I tend to stock in size 16s and 18s. But, you know, I can get a size 20 girl in a size 18 dress, no problem, or 16. That's all about the fitting. So, but the dresses are on a variety of different sample sizes. And have you seen sizes change over the years? Absolutely. Like our lives are changing. You know, we, we are more sedentary and our diets are not good. And the, the, the pattern blocks that the designers cut to have changed, which is a start point. But also, I mean, the average British girl is about size 15 now. When I started, it was about 13 and a half. And I know, having been a fashion buyer as well, that, you know, out there, you know, 20 years ago, Marks and Spencer's size 12 was a 27 waist it's now 14 (laughs) so you can still get into a 12 even though you've got bigger because the psychology of it all the unfortunate thing with bridal is it goes the other way so you are because they cut off a 1930s pattern block if you are we measure you as a size 18 you might only wear a 16 in the high street so we've got to manage that which is not easy it's not easy and i'm guessing that's something you can sell but the some of your stylists will find trickier. No, do you know, we, we show them the size chart um, and we're, we're very, we're transparent about sizing and pricing because we, we don't ever want anybody to get a shock or be upset. You know, it's got to be, you've got to be as transparent as possible with these things. Yeah, they've got to look and feel amazing. Yeah. That's the trick on the day is how they feel yeah. as yeah. much as how they look. And we, we will break our necks and to, to make that happen. You know, I have a bride this year that, we literally remade the dress the week before the wedding and then she changed her mind and wanted it back as it was because she just had she had body dysmorphia she didn't she couldn't look in the mirror and and even though we were looking at her going you look absolutely incredible that's not what she saw and so she wanted us to change it and she had to sign all sorts of paperwork to do that before we started cutting it the week of the wedding fabric was shipped up from london on a bike we remade it overnight she got the dress she wanted two days before the wedding and wanted the old dress back. And she got married in the old dress because my dressmakers would work around the clock. No matter what it takes, we'll do it. Do you use local dressmakers? I do. I do. I'm really, I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. I've got two girls that work for me, um, work for me for a very long time now. And one does the Oxford alterations, one does Beaconsfield. And in their own right, they're couture dressmakers. They've, they've done the London circuit. They've retired to the home counties and now they work for me. Amazing. <laughs> That's really good. It's very lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very lucky. So we look after them. That'd be like a photographer finding, I don't know, a Los Angeles retoucher <laughs> sitting on your doorstep. I know. It? I know. It's just, it's not heard of. So we're very lucky. We do look after them. Good. Uh, if you could uh, give a small business setting out one bit of advice. You can give a couple if you want to. But on the business side, as opposed to photography or anything like that, what would it be? I think setting up a wedding dress shop is something most girls 
dream of doing and because it's seen as such a lovely thing and that in between clients we sit there and we read magazines um that is not the reality of it you know if if we sell 500 dresses a year we've seen thousands of brides and it's a hard job and there is not one margin for error um both financially and running the business but also in terms of delivering somebody's expectations so although bridal seems to be the obvious happy clappy <laughs> candy cotton pink fluffy ball choice for lots of girls yeah, yeah. um it's not it's hard work extremely hard work dedication and so my my advice would be before you actually jump into it and invest all this money go and work in a bridal shop for six months see what you're dealing with you know, I remember coming home after my first Saturday and saying to David, oh my God, I saw a naked woman today. <laughs> and I hadn't really thought about that because in Marks and Spencers, they're changing rooms. <laughs> so yeah. they were my, do women really have hairy backs, David? <laughs> you know, so there's all sorts of funny things going on. I'm thinking, oh my God, I didn't, I, I, I didn't know. I love the fact you're asking David. I know, like, well. You dig into your history he's, there, David. He's, I mean, he's got know. more experience with naked women than I have probably. <laughs> um, so, so there's, yeah, so you go and work in a bridal shop. Go and work on it, do some maths, work it through, understand what your longer term commitments are. It's not just a case of buying 60 dresses this year. You've got to buy them again next year yeah. and the year after and the year after. And you've got to make sure you've got the right turnover to say cash flow support management that. Must be a headache. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it is. I mean, I've always been really lucky. I've always been, I say lucky, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm so organised with it. Yeah. Um, Always proud to say in 12 years, I've never been overdrawn with the bank. How many small businesses can say that? Not did many. You, did you have, was it all your own investment or did you have um, I had, angel funding or something? I had, it was part my, 70% my investment and I had a bank loan, right. um, which I was desperate to clear off and get rid of so that it was just down to me. But you had to raise that kind of capital. Yeah. So yeah. I'm assuming if you were running 40 stores at TK Maxx, you had some exit capital from there Abs- yeah so absolutely a, like a redundancy or shares yeah. or something yeah did, did all of that and 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 also i've I, my, the business has long paid me back my yeah. investment you know i've had all that back yeah. the banks had theirs back and so now we're just running which as is a lovely position well. to be in, but you have to be efficient because cash flow is, is the thing everyone ignores everyone talks about turnover mm. of course turnover really is a vanity figure uh, margin is what you're really interested in and also when <laughs> you know, exactly absolutely and and you know when you're dealing with 500 brides a year and five suppliers and three of those are british two are offshores things get complicated yeah. and they do and and you know from day one i've never tried to be an expert in everything i am a brilliant brilliant retailer that's what i do I run shops, I'm great with design, I'm great picking dresses. I am not an accountant. So I have a bookkeeper that works for me one day a week to keep me out of jail. Um, and I have an accountant. So, you know, I, that's all dealt with for me. I don't, I don't get involved in any of that other than, you know, doing the cash flow predictions and stuff. And the same with marketing. You know, I pay someone now to do all my um, social media marketing because I'm not, an, I'm, I love it. I get involved. I've got 11,000 followers on Twitter. I've got 5,000 on Instagram. So it's, it's all very active, um, but I don't do all the design, designy stuff, you know. So I employ experts to do the expert stuff. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, how do you defend against, and I hear stories of this a little bit, of brides coming and trying stuff on and then hopping online 
and seeing if they can get it cheaper somewhere else. Yeah, always going to happen. Yeah. In fact, I'm guilty of it myself. I went and tried a pair of trainers on the other day and went no. home and checked the price, I know. <laughs> and then I hated myself for an hour and then I bought them online. But it happens. The reality is it, it does happen. The product that I sell is not available online. So the the biggest risk to my market is the secondhand market, really. So a bride that has perhaps spent £4,000 on a Suzanne Neville wedding dress when she really only had £1,000 um, tries to regroup that after the wedding and they'll be selling it secondhand. But not everybody wants to wear a secondhand wedding dress. Um, so, but, so I'm, I'm searching back. In my, I, I have, to the best of my knowledge, I haven't had a single bride wear a secondhand. Yeah wedding dress bar one where it was her grandmother's and I think that's slightly different yeah 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 but it's so the secondhand market's kind of out there's loads of websites that sell them um but you have to remember those dresses will have been fitted to the specific bride they were made for so if you're five foot ten you're not going to get a secondhand wedding dress you know so uh, tell me a disaster story. Tell me something that's gone horribly wrong or you've nearly, n- neatly averted a disaster. Oh, gosh. And I know you've got a few because I've I, laughed with you before. Yeah, I, I have. I have got a disaster. I can tell you one big disaster and I probably shouldn't on a podcast, should I? <laughs> well, <no. laughs> but I'm going to tell you the happy ending that I'll nobody t- even knew what the disaster t- was. Yeah, the happy ending. So, so, so in, the, in the very, very early days of Beaconsfield, when we were at the two-month... Uh, crux point of getting people in we used to I had my office in the shop I had my preparation room in the shop I had the sales area in the shop I had three members of staff everybody was on a laptop on their knee it was crammed in this little shop and we had a bride collecting her dress on the Thursday Uh, on the Friday her wedding was on the Saturday and we were preparing this dress on the Thursday and it was so hot in the room where it was steamy <laughs> you can tell something's going to go wrong here it was so hot in the room that we were preparing the dressing one of my girls opened the back door to let some air in as she did that the other girl held the iron up and the wind caught the organza off the skirt and it stuck to the iron I wasn't in the store when it happened I was in Oxford um well, actually I wasn't in Oxford we didn't have Oxford there I was out of the store I got a phone call um, Ellie, how do we press organza? Uh, well, you don't. You steam it and then you flat iron it, dry iron it. Okay. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and they hung up. An hour later, they phoned me back. And they went, you need to come into the shop. They were all crying. Um, the end of the story is the bride knew nothing. We had a new skirt put on the dress. She did not know how that happened. It was all just done. I delivered it to her house. I was ill. I'd been up for 48 hours. I took it to her house because it hadn't been quite ready for her to collect. Uh, and she was really happy. In fact, they sent me a bouquet of flowers to thank me for my personal attention. In between all of that, I've had a girl drive from one store to the other side of London to a supplier to get the fabric and the dressmakers up around the clock to replace the skirt on this dress. So there's always going to be a horror story, but I'm always, I feel quietly confident that I've got a brilliant team behind me no matter what happens we can fix it and that gives me huge confidence and my team as well you know that we can sell and deliver what we say we're doing yeah no I think it's interesting talking to businesses because it's not if something goes wrong it's when something goes wrong it's how you deal with it and actually dealing with disaster is a better indicator of a successfully run business than yeah. dealing with success dealing yeah. with success is easy yeah you say thanks you yeah a glass of champagne dealing with disaster so that your client never they may know but isn't affected by it 
um that's a, a mark of a of a proper a proper company <laughs> and i kind of knew that story i kind of led you into that because you told me that story so now i've gone and told everybody I, that well story. i think i think when i saw you <laughs> You, you were extolling the virtues of a steamer, a dedicated oh, yeah. steamer. <laughs> After that, I got rid of that iron and we, we got another shop in Beaconsfield yeah. because we needed more space. Yeah. I'm and like, that's le- it. You do learn. You do learn as you go with I these know. things. It's not I, all... I thought I was being very clever because we had such a nice little space and we were taking shed loads of money and it turn per foot was the highest in the business. And then a disaster happened and I stepped back and went, get a grip, Sanderson. You've got to expand this business. You've got to get another shop for, or, or another unit yeah. to do all the preparation of these dresses. Pint into a quart pot doesn't <laughs> yeah. go. Or well, £12 a shit into a £10 no, bag, as exactly. my old client in America used to tell me. You can't do it. Uh, uh, I'm going to switch the conversation a little bit over to photography. Mm. Uh, because although in a sense you don't run a, photo- a business that's tied to imagery, but then again it is because brides... An awful lot of the bride's first contact with a wedding dress design will be through imagery rather than necessarily their friend wearing one. I know you get an awful lot of recommendations and, you know, people have seen the dress that someone's worn and they've come to you because they've seen it. But I would still guess, and this is just a guess, what, 80, 90 percent of people come to you, their first contact with the idea of a wedding dress is in imagery. How is wedding photography and the stuff that's on Instagram and uh, Pinterest, Facebook to a lesser degree, I guess, uh, how are these these images driving what you are then selling inside the business? Yeah, that's a that's a brilliant question. And I, you know, I've used it to my advantage now, but it took me a while to figure it. Um, the growth of Instagram has just been phenomenal. I have girls say to me, are these dresses available on Instagram? And I'm like, no, but they're available on my beautiful website that's won awards. Um, and so you can you can feel that their behavior is changing. Do you know you're a natural saleswoman Am on I? my beautiful website Did that's, you like won, that? that's won awards? <laughs> Yeah, I heard it. It didn't, it didn't escape me. Um, but they, that, that's how they think. So they, so they, they search Instagram yeah. and they'll, they'll find images. They'll save them. They'll come in with massive pins. You can always, you always know who you're dealing with by how many pins they've got on their Pinterest board. Um, and then you, you, you see all the imagery. And, and knowing photography, um, I can look at these images and think, oh my goodness, this girl is not six foot eight. You know, her legs are not that long. This is not real. This is not a real person. So we, we have to manage that side of it. Um, but the whole style of photography that they bring in now is a lot more relaxed than it's ever been. Yeah. Um, and I buy product around some of that, which is kind of the opposite of what I used to do. So, for example, before I took on a designer a year ago, I started to popping up their pictures of their dresses, just going, oh, I love this and I love that. And seeing what the reaction was from the, my followers. Yeah. And it was huge. So I bought the label, <laughs> you know. So I'm, I'm testing the market before I've invested in it, which is, is brilliant. Yeah. We could never have done that before. We would have, we would have put our money down and then hoped they'd buy it. Yeah. Um, and so that's a, that's, a good, that's a good thing. The downside is that people will come in with this imagery and they will want to be that girl. It's like it's like going to the hairdressers with a picture of Jennifer Aniston <laughs> and saying, I want this haircut. And then you come out and you don't look like Jennifer, but you've got a hair. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. It's, it's it takes. It's tricky. A lot of expectations have to be managed with it. But it drives massive footfall mm-hmm. into my business. Um, and I I love looking at the... The, dr- the footfall drivers on the website, where people, what, what images they're looking at, yeah. and then what they buy. Yeah. 
totally opposite. They're not the same, are they? <laughs> yeah, totally total opposite. So what they fall in love with and what in reality they can wear are two different things. So, you know, I may have one label that drives all this footfall in and actually they end up in a different label yeah. because, you know, the imagery is there, but actually the product's better here. Yeah. And that happens a lot. I think we have a parallel in this industry. An awful lot of the images we use to sell our skills as photographers, if I then try to sell that image to a client, they're not interested. They want their family to look, I don't know, happy, smiley. And I've got some stories about that. Yeah. It's, there's yeah. a difference between what you use to sell you and then what you actually sell. They're yeah. not necessarily the same yeah. thing. Yeah. And I see that in the shop, pool with photography as well. Because I have... I have girls come in and say, I want to be this boho beach babe with my hair all tousled and a dress where I can run along the beach. And the mom's going, but you're getting married in a chapel. <laughs> um, and she goes, yeah, no, 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 but we're having, we're having all informal photography. And mom goes, but granny's going to be in the picture. You know, so you can feel this age group tussle going on. And, and you talk about Facebook. It's interesting because the mums follow Facebook. So we really do engage with them, but what we put on Facebook is different to Instagram. Right. So we, because we, the, they're the decision maker as well. There's three people in this whole buying process, the bride, the groom, and the mum. So I, I don't think I'd have put the groom that high up. <laughs> <laughs> Did I put him at the end? You put him in the middle. I think he should, oh, have, been at the the, end. He should have been at the end. It's the mum, the, the bride, the groom. Yeah, somewhere uh, around that. Yeah, like but it, yeah, it's interesting. So the whole, the whole, what they see and what they buy is different. Who influences them? Um, but Instagram and Pinterest is massive. Yeah. Can't be underestimated at all. Yeah. No, it's interesting to hear how you use those things to your advantage. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, when I go buying, um, I look at the images on Instagram that have had the most likes. I look at the shape of them, the color, the, the, you know, the fabric. Yeah. And, you know, I've got all that as a, a background noise when I'm looking at the harsh reality of what we're looking to buy. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, completely influence it but i know i'm going to have to have some of that to tickle everybody to get them in the building in the first place yeah i mean I, my advice actually i think what we should do is between us is set up a new wedding venue that has its own beach <laughs> somewhere around here on i the think that would be fabulous <laughs> <laughs> so, so that we can satisfy um, this need for the boho bride absolutely be great wouldn't it I, know. I, know. <laughs> I had a boho bride the other day buy a formal dress and i'm like i don't understand why are you standing in a crepe ball gown, a great dress with a big ball gown skirt, and you're a boho bride just because you've got a ringless of flowers in your hair? It's just, it's, they're so massively influenced by online and noise. I, I think the one thing I hear here, here in this business quite a lot, and I think, it's, I think it's a nice thing, is a bride will come to me, and I, and I do cheekily say, have you chosen your dress yet? And if they have, they'll show me on an iPhone, and we're trying to keep it secret from the groom. And or you send them to me. Yeah, send, of course <laughs> I send them to you. If they, if they haven't chosen already, I do send them to you. You know that as well. <laughs> I do know. Uh, but the, um, they will very often say, oh, I went in looking for this. And came out, and with, came this. out with that. Yeah. Because when I tried it on, oh, my God, I just felt amazing. Yeah. You know? yeah. And I actually think that's right. I think when you walk into the shop and you try the gowns on, whichever one resonates with you, that's probably... There's a good chance that's a good gown. It's how it looks, but one thing that nobody else can ever see is how it feels. That's right. Um, and I, before I came to meet you today, I had a bride in and she had three favourite dresses. You can't have three favourite dresses. So I said to her, just tell me, you know, what's, which one's one, which one's two, which one's three? And she sort of pointed, had them all lined up. And I said, okay, so why would you get married in the runner-up? And she went, 
oh yeah. <laughs> so, so, should we forget the other tune just by this one? That's like saying you've got three favourite fellows, which one you marry? I know. Well, I said that to her. I said, have you, have you, got, th- <laughs> have you got three boyfriends? Have you, you know, how did you pick the one you were going to marry? So, but, but yeah, she wanted this one and their mother wanted another one. But I got a text on my way here to say she bought the one she wanted. Oh, good. That's, that's the right <laughs> so there way. is a happy ending. She stuck to her guns. Right. Uh, before we uh, took on this interview, I asked you to think of some top tips for photographers when dealing with wedding gowns and particularly brides in wedding gowns and I just wondered what you'd come up with oh I have one enormous pet hate and it is a top tip but I'm sure photographers like you don't need to know this I I go when girls buy a dress they there's this whole emotional connection with it and when they get nervous they're hanging on to their bouquets and they hide the whole beautiful front of their dresses and I I you know I hate seeing photographs of girls on their wedding day with their flowers under their chin. Um, And I know any photographer worth their salt will say, drop it down, open your arms, get the the light to the waist. Um, But you'd be surprised, Paul, how many girls send us photographs with their bouquets perched under their chin or hanging down backwards or just, you know, perish the thought on top of their heads because there used to be a phase of that. So bouquets um, are a big thing for me. And, and, and then the other one, back, back to the sort of emotional attachment of the dress. I think, um, I think a really good question to ask a bride is what do you love about your dress? Because I have girls that buy dresses that absolutely, utterly 100% are so in love with the back and the front's okay. Um, but if it's okay, I can hide it with flowers, as they do. Um, and I think it's a tragedy if you don't get that on the wedding day because, you know, or get an image of the back of the dress, especially if it's got something wow about it. And again, any good photographer wouldn't miss it. But I think it's really important to ask a girl what she loves about her dress. That's a good tip. Um, because she might just go, do you see these little buttons? Yeah, yeah. You know, and you're like, buttons? Really? Where? I had, I had a bride the other day who had her grandparents' initials and their wedding anniversary date embroidered in tiny detail yeah. into the lace on a dress. Yeah. And that was, and she's very specific. I want that photographed. Yeah. And a lot of girls forget that on the day. I mean, that's, that's another little thing I was going to say is that there are lots of little special things that we do around the dress that they'll forget on the day. So, you know, not just what do you love about your dress? Is there anything special you want to share? Yeah. And because we often um, put little uh, secret pockets in with Granny's yeah. wedding band or we have a little bit of lace tied into the back, or we have a bit of blue, blue ribbon off mummy's um, garter. So there's lots of little things that on the day with all the excitement, they forget to say. Yeah, yeah. But then afterwards, they go, oh my God, I didn't get yeah, yeah. I didn't get this. Why didn't you photograph know, the blue bow feeling, from my great, yeah. great, great granny? And did you tell me? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know. No, it wasn't, it wasn't yeah. on the list. Yeah. But also the other, I mean, it's, I think, I think the big talking to them about it. We've, we've had, We've had Victorian veils come into the shop where I'm actually scared to steam them because they just, they're just wonder webs of pure silk. And again, they probably wouldn't think to tell you that. But, you know, it's a big heirloom piece that's got to be captured without doubt. Um, the other the other big thing for me is curvy brides. And again, I'm not teaching photographers how to shoot curvy brides, but what do you love about your dress? And that, that open conversation Every girl has parts of their body. They come into my shop and go, hate my arms, hate my bum, hate my stomach, hate this. How can you hide it? And I just wish they were really more open with that. And I know that they don't 
come to you and say that. But in the private fitting room, to me, they'll say, I hate my arms, they are hideous. How can we cover them? And, and I know on the day, you know, there's all sorts of great trickery to not so, you know, side shoot them with big chubby arms and get the veil over it and stuff like that. But I think it's important to understand a lot, most women have a hang up about something. Know what the hang up is. You can find out what that hang up is. You're on easy street. Um, Cause it does make it, it does. If they get photographs back and there's angles of them that aren't right. Well, you should definitely be doing that in the weeks running into the wedding, not on the wedding day. Yeah, yeah You do yeah. not want to be talking to a bride about yeah, hang-ups no, on no. the wedding day. What's your hang-up? <laughs> so which bit don't you like? I don't like my groom. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. that's a dreadful moment. He doesn't, he's not a good fit. <laughs> <laughs> I went with second best. <laughs> yeah. And, and the other thing, when you sort of start talking about before the wedding day, you're right, things that they don't perhaps like, tattoos and stuff like that always come out. Um, and we we probably spend 80% of the brides that have tattoos want them covered. So there's all these little psychological things that need to go on. And this is, this is about the bride getting the ultimate look that she wants. You know, obviously styling a bride on a wedding day is something you guys do anyway, but um, bridesmaids don't. You know, they forget what their job is on the day. Um, and I, I get upset when I see wedding photographs back where all it would have taken is a simple flick and I always drill the bridesmaids. When the bride gets to the altar, fix the dress from the back because that photograph will be captured for life. And if the veils skew if you've made a big boo-boo. Yeah, I think the, the, biggest, the biggest challenge I ever had was with a curvy bride. And I had an email a week after the wedding that said something along the lines, oh my goodness, I hope you've got better pictures than all my friends have because they've started texting me pictures and I looked so busty in this dress and it was a corseted dress and she was curvy and the bridesmaids had done it up once and then hadn't done it again for about two hours and so by the time she hit the altar it was a proper buxom barmaid kind of look bless her now for those of us who didn't know that this was to be tightened her groom was so pleased with what he saw. I mean, you, you could see it in his face. <laughs> he was having the day of his life. And so we sort of ignored it because we assumed that was the look she was going for, and it wasn't. Uh, and so uh, luckily, you know, like any half-decent wedding photographer, we shot it very sensitively anyway. But also I had to correct some of it in Photoshop for things like speech shots where she's tipped forward slightly. Yeah. You know, yeah. a lot of work because the bridesmaids didn't pay attention to the instructions and they had to just remember to retighten the corsetry uh, to bring it all together. Fortunately, I don't have that problem in my dresses because the corsetry is all inside. <laughs> but when you are right, I mean, that's that's another big no-no for me that I I hate seeing dresses that have been tightened, not retightened. But worse than any of that is where the crossing at the ribbons oh, yeah, at the back yeah. are so it's uneven. Right. It's like it's broken right. teeth. <laughs> like, it's got to be right. Oh, my God. You know, so again... It's just it's, it's just the detail. But, but this, this uh, is when it's been done, and you can see immediately that, for instance, it's not even, and it starts to do this, and you're saying you're, you're having an internal battle because on the one hand I'm watching the clock, on the other hand I know if I let that go out, that's not right, and you have to somehow find the diplomacy and the timekeeping to get that addressed and still have your bride at the altar or at the registrar's, de registrar's desk on time. A nightmare for every photographer. But it, yeah, I'm with you on the detail, but sometimes you are... 
up against it just a bit up against it and you know as i said when you're when when photographs are happening it's about styling the dress it takes two secs to flick yeah. a dress but the bridesmaids always forget and as a photographer i have done it but i don't like to do it yeah it's i can imagine careering down the middle and then yeah. flick the dress and run away yeah again. i can imagine it's it's quite a personal thing as well yeah. flicking someone's skirt well, what, what, I'd, what normally what i do is i'd quietly find a bridesmaid yeah i'd wonder and say look you need to do this and let them do it as so i'd backtrack and then yeah get them to do it I remember the worst moment I had was watching a veil slip out the back of somebody's head during a ceremony, and it was sliding down her hair. And I'm thinking, do I jump up and fix that now? Or do I just sit here calmly? And I had this internal, and David was photographing the wedding, and I, was fe- I felt ill, and I sat there, and as soon as the I do's were said, I jumped up and fixed it. <laughs> no, you have to, I think. Oh. You know, there's, there's, it might feel awkward at the time. Yeah. But... You know, everyone eventually will know the story. Absolutely. Any other top tips? Um, They're no. good top tips, but you didn't get to my five, I don't think. I don't. I think I got four. I think we've. <laughs> well, like, some of the ones I've written down here, we've just chatted about as we've been going I know, through. I know. So, um, yeah. Four, but, uh, four's a good number. It'll yeah, make a great it's a bit uneven though. I like fives, yeah, yeah, like five. three fives or sevens. Right. I'm sorry, I've kind of epically failed there. Well, not epically. <laughs> But you said you were very into the design, and I like a kind of odd-numbered design, so it's fine. And on that happy note, I'm going to close this uh, particular interview out. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this interview with someone who, although they're sort of out the air, they're not really in the photography industry, um, are in an associated industry. But I'm really hoping in the coming months um, I'll get to talk to people further and further afield uh, while still tying it back to uh, portrait photography and certainly the business and motivations of portrait photography if you have enjoyed this podcast please do subscribe you can find us on all the usual places for uh, podcasts which is itunes we're on podbean uh, radio public we're on stitcher and of course you can head across to the home of this particular podcast uh, which is masteringportraitphotography.com and if you're not yet a member of this website please do join us uh, we are dedicated to just one thing and that's pursuing the art of portrait photography I know that leaves various other aspects of photography open to others but I think there's enough to learn uh, about portrait photography in particular uh, that will keep us busy for many 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 years to come if you want to go and have a look at Ellie's website, uh, the web address is elliesanderson.co.uk. That's elliesanderson.co.uk. You can see her website, her beautiful website, uh, and some of the things she talks about on there. It's not just a lesson in how to build a website for a wedding dress supplier. It would make a pretty good website design for a photographer. So if you want to go and look at how uh, images and words can be tied together to create the right kind of feeling uh, for your clients, then it's not a bad shout. Uh, So until next time, it just leaves me to say, remember, be kind to yourselves. Take care.